Hello and welcome to Fireside with VC. My name is Andrew Romans and I'm excited for this episode today with Nathan Beckard, who's the CEO and founder of Founder Suite. And today we're going to talk about fundraising. So everyone's favorite topic of the pleasant experience of getting out there and raising the first funding for your startup and then the next amount of funding and then the next amount of funding and the next amount of funding. Um, so Nathan, good to see you again. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Even so, though it might not be everyone's favorite topic, it's a topic I love to talk about. So I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. <laughs> that's great. And Nathan also has a podcast called How I Raised It. So he's got people, I think I understand, specifically telling stories about how they raised, you know, what, angel and VC funding. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, thanks for the the opening to plug it, but I won't you know, go into too much and I can't wait to get you on the show. But basically this idea was let's just get into the weeds with entrepreneurs, mostly startup entrepreneurs, but we've been starting to have venture capital firms on there, even a, a couple fund of funds. And let's just really get into the weeds of like how they raise capital for their startup fund, fund of fund, whatever it is. Um, and it's really tactical. I, I thought I knew everything about raising capital. I thought I was the expert. And then I get you know, people on the show and I've, I've learned a ton from it. So if you're looking for real practical, tactical stuff and kind of inspiring stories, because some of these people have gone through, you know, the ringer on their way to getting funded. It's pretty interesting. And, you know, like, uh, so when I come on your show, I was going to tell my story about how I raised my first 5 million of funding and specific tactical things, Yep. but things are changing. So, you know, my story my story is, is as true now as it was back in the mid-1990s, but there's a whole lot of things that are around, not least of which Founder Suite. Why don't we just start and just knock that out of the way? So I've known you for a long time, but uh, it was only more recently that I started understanding what Founder Suite is and what it does. Maybe describe first, uh, you know, when did you start Founder Suite and what has it evolved into today? today? Yeah, yeah. I'll give my very short history. I got out of college, went into investment banking during the dot-com boom, helping companies, you know, go public, and then spent a little time in JP Morgan's private placement group, helping companies raise later stage rounds of funding, and then got kind of tired of that and took that playbook, came out to Silicon Valley and spent about a decade helping early stage companies raising capital. I think that's where we first met that was a firm called Venture Archetype. So, you know, kind of acting as like fractional CFO or consultant to all these early stage startups raising capital. And then one day just had this idea. We would get a startup in the door. We'd help them build their pitch deck, help them build a financial model. We'd do the research, build a target investor list, put it all in this elegant spreadsheet, and then hand it off to the client. And, you know, this was around the time Mark Andreessen came out with his software is eating the world you know, statement and kind of had this idea, like, why don't we build some software for this? So it really started, Founder Suite started as a little side project of the consulting business where we were, you know, doing it on the side. And then it kind of got a little, little traction, little legs. So we spun it out into its own company like five or six years ago now and have just been off to the races full-time on this building software tools to raise capital. So how does it work? So if I've got you know, so how early is too early to start working with Founder Suite? I mean, frankly, I would say our if we did a pie chart of our users, probably fifty percent are pre-seed and seed um, angel rounds. The rest are Series A, Series B, and even some other types of 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 you know capital raise like real estate and things like that. But um, really, you know, probably beyond that first check where your dad and your uncle and your aunt are funding you to the tune of 100k anytime you've got to go out and source investors strangers and really run a process right talk a lot about running a process um, that's where founder suite really comes into play and so that is often you know precede through series b and c okay so why don't we and and how does founders suite work so i go to go to your website and then create an account and I start paying a certain fee or how does it work? Are there yeah, free sure. resources there? There's a free version that's free forever. doesn't require a credit card. You can poke around 
doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but um, the next plans up are $49, $69 a month. So it's pretty affordable for most, most startups. And basically you, you sign up, you get dropped into the account. And typically the first step would be to start building an investor list or target investor list, right? So a lot of people might have a spreadsheet they've already curated or collected, but we also have a database of about 200,000 investors to search from and go in and search by industry um, uh, type of investor, everything from angel, VC, corporate VC, family office, even up to private equity. So, you know, typically we'd spend some quality time building a target list, doing the research and loading all those investors into the CRM. Um, and then the CRM is kind of your operational hub for the fundraise where you're using it to track all the actions, tasks, follow-up things, tracking the email conversations with investors, stuff like that, right? And then the other tools are as you get a little further down the process. So we've got a pitch deck hosting tool, which is kind of like a Docsend light. We've got an investor update tool for doing, you know, ongoing investor updates to both um, uh, existing investors, if you've already raised some money, but also to prospective investors. That's something I really tout heavily. And then, you know, email tools for doing follow-up. And then we just launched a data room um, to put all your confidential stuff in there. So when you're getting into due diligence with these investors, you know, you've got a place where you can securely store and share your, your confidential stuff. And then last but not least, we have a collection of like downloadable uh, pitch decks, term sheets, cap tables, things like that, that you can use. So if you kind of think about the entire fundraising journey from identifying the right investors through closing the round, we're trying to build tools for each step of the journey. Okay, so this is, so uh, right now I pay for Docsend. Yep. If I were to uh, sign up and start paying for Founder Suite, I could cancel my my Docsend account. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it because I don't want to raise the wrath of too many firms out there, but yeah, basically we're replacing and consolidating six or seven other products in here. Yeah. You know, you could theoretically cancel your Docsend, your PitchBook, your HubSpot, your, uh, you know, whatever email tool you're doing and your data room, right? And and then roll it all into one platform for 69 and, bucks and, a month. And, so. and, and what would I be paying for that if I were to get the full Monty there? 69 a month. We have one other version that's called agent model that is used by investment bankers and some VCs. If you're actually going to be working with multiple portfolio companies, um, we have a version that's 150 a month and then it's $50 for additional deals. But that basically lets you have multiple companies under one account. But if it's just your, your fund or your startup, it's $69 a month. Uh, and that includes multiple users, uh, no extra charge. Just that's it. Because I, I have a rule or we have a rule at 7BC Venture Capital that if we cannot add value to the company, then we should not be investing in the company. Good so like, like a checkbox is what would our value add be that we could do? And one value add is, you know, which is for anybody, is that we can help them raise capital for their next round. And so we're, you know, our business model is we raise money from LPs, we invest that money into startups, and we make our money from a management fee and the carried interest performance fee, like two and 20, right? We do not charge money for fundraising for the company, but this is a free, we do free investment banking for every one of our companies. And so maybe we can start jumping into the weeds on this. I mean, what we typically do is we make a Google spreadsheet Yep. So we're not using your digitized fancy end-to-end -end, you know, solution yet, but we just make a Google Doc where I typically list like around 100 uh, VCs that I generally you know, list. And so there might be some CVCs on there or just pure financial VCs. And we list the name of the fund, the name of the individual at that fund that we would target. And then we list who is the primary person to introduce the CEO to yep. that individual. And so, you know, you might say this person at that fund, and then we share that with all of the investors that are already in the deal with us. 
And so that would be the angel investors as well as other VCs. We're, we're a real play nice with other kind of fund as opposed to sharp elbow everybody out of the way. I must have my ownership percentage of yeah. 25%. And so trying to get rid of other people, we're the opposite of that. So we basically will then work on that list and say, I'll put my name, Andrew Romans, next to all of them, but say, does anybody have a better relationship with anybody here than I do? You know, like I know David yep. Blumberg well, but, you know, you know, I probably should be the one to introduce you to David Blumberg. But uh, there's other ones where I'm like, I'm not so sure how much she loves me or likes me even. I know her, she knows me, but, you know, maybe someone yeah. else can make that introduction. And then after we do that and we have all of our docs lined up, then we go into solicitation. Maybe yep. um, with, so with, why don't we just talk about advice for founders? So for founders, you know, using Founder Suite or not, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, having done it professionally and then begin to digitize the whole thing and productize it. What's your advice to founders when they're moving past that friends and family that you described? Yeah, boy, I've got, I've got a lot. I'll try and keep it, keep it short, but you know, I always tell founders like fundraising is not rocket science. It's learnable. It's, you know, doable by anyone, but it has a lot of little nuances to it that can trip people up. Right. And we see these, I'm sure you see these every day with people approaching you and stuff like that. I would say, you know, advice number one, the two, two bits of advice that correlate to each other. Number one is spending the time actually doing the research, like digging in and researching and qualifying investors, making sure the people that end up on your target list, you know, really do your your sector, your stage, your geographic location, that they're ideally you, you've identified that they're actively investing. Maybe they raise a new fund, you know, um, um, really spending the time researching and, and even just going into the qualitative stuff, like following them on social media or Twitter and getting a feel for, you know, what they're talking about, what they're interested in. So, so I kind of liken the process to a sales process, right? Good salespeople qualify their leads heavily, prioritize their leads, you know, spend a lot of time on that before making the, the sales pitch. And so I, I think that's something a lot of founders might skip a little bit. They want to just download all 10,000 SaaS investors in our database and start blasting them. And that that's a mistake, right? So spending the time qualifying. And then the other big piece of advice, and this really has been like corroborated with the interviews that we've done on our podcast is, you know, start the relationship, initiate the relationship early, ideally even, you know, six to 12 months before you actually want to raise money so that investor can get to know you. They can see your progress a little bit. Uh, They can just see kind of, there's a Mark Suster quote, right? Investors invest in lines, not dots. They, They can start to see some, some data points on a, on a, you know, a metaphorical graph of how, how your business is shaping up and how you're making progress. So um, that's something a lot of founders don't do either, right? They say, I need to raise money in, in April. Um, yeah. I'm going to just start pitching investors today where really if, you know, smart founders or even second time repeat founders kind of think about this way far in advance, start to build those relationships, nurture those relationships. That's one of the things like I'm always telling our founders, use the investor update tool send out like a short one page update to these investors you're trying to you know get get to know and get them to know you so those are two two starting points and what 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 should a founding team get in order before they go into solicitation so you've got a target investor list that you can build like the way we do it or using founder suite but before you go into solicitation what are the ducks they need to get lined up, you know, in order? You, you kind of mentioned like an Excel spread, you know, your financials or. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, and it's funny because I had been fundraising for a while. And then when we were raising capital, I got a term sheet from uh, FFVC, uh, New York. Oh, yeah, John Frankel. Uh, fun. Great guys, love them to, to yeah. death. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they got the term sheet. I was su- super excited. And then, and that was on a Friday, I think. And then on Monday, they sent me the due diligence list, which was, I kid you not, it was like 120 items. It was, it was massive. And I really wasn't prepared for it, to be totally honest. Like it was a huge list. And so that's one thing I would definitely um, get in, in, in order first, all the due diligence stuff. And that means 
getting your your corporate docs ready you know these might be at your attorney they might be who knows where right getting your financials building a financial uh even a basic financial forecast um um you know getting any intellectual property altogether getting your product roadmap in some palatable format getting things like customer references ready so that when investors want to check on this you've you've I don't want to say you've groomed your references, but you, people know that investors are going to be calling you, right? Things like that. So, and we have a, a folder structure in our data room, which I don't, I haven't memorized, but basically if you kind of think about all the different sections of your business, it's like, what is an investor going to want to dig into? It's everything. So you kind of have to get all that stuff ready. Um, even things like, you know, being ready to, to share, uh, your Google analytics or things like that um, is really helpful. So those are some of the, what do you, what do you recommend for a financial model? Um, so, I mean, historical and pro forma financials, what do you recommend most startups show there? Hey, you're asking, I'm a little biased in this because I used to build financial models for startups for a living. So I, I probably, uh, you know, maybe go overboard. I think having a good, listen, and, and tell me if you disagree with this, but I think every investor knows your financial forecasts are kind of BS or imaginary, you know, but you know, you want to be able to show investors that you've thought through what your business model can look like as it scales. You want to show you've been thoughtful in, in your costs, right? If you're raising a million dollars, you should be able to articulate pretty carefully how you're going to spend that million dollars, whether it's on engineering salaries, and you're going to hire X number of engineers over the next six months, 12 months. Um, with, with the actual model itself, I usually will do like the first two years on a month-by-month -month basis. So I'm really granular. And then yeah. maybe the remaining three years, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more of a, a formula type of thing that just shows what this could look like in five years. But, but being really granular, especially around the costs and, uh, and then, you know, what the business model can look like at scale is, are the things I really drill on. I like, I like to see a month, I like to see historical financials that show monthly, um, these are our revenues. Yep. These, I like to see revenue broken down by different types of revenue. You might have a company that has um, they're saying that they have MRR of 100K a month, but in reality, 50% of that was one-off development work yeah. that they'd cleverly done for some of their customers. And only like the other half is the reoccurring SaaS revenue of the new product in maybe a pivot. And there might even be some like legacy revenue in there. And so it, I think it's useful to understand the revenue and yep. then... I like to see monthly because it begins to show how chunky the revenue is coming in. Like, we, mm -hmm. did you get a 12 month, did you do a pilot that you got paid for 250K and then that converted to a 450K annual, but it was paid up front? Yeah. To, you know, or, or it was paid in these chunky payments. And so sometimes you can almost understand it quarterly or annually, but the, I like the ability to see it on what's happened in the past. And when you get into the pro formas, yes, it is uncertain what your sales pipeline will close at, yeah. but what is rather certain is how you are intending to spend the money that you're raising. And so like, I generally like to look at if revenue were flat and yeah. nothing comes in, we have a certainty of how these people plan on spending our check that we're gonna wire them how many months of runway do we have in the worst sure. case scenario of another variant slows down the ability to close anybody and yep. how many months runway have I got? And I kind of want to see a minimum of 18 months mm -hmm. in a yep. doomsday scenario where revenues were flat. Um, it, it, and you can have your model roll into another tab that shows it quarterly and another tab that shows it annually. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. I agree with all that. And I think I'm thinking of the models I've done. I haven't done one in a while, but thinking of the models I've done, you have the monthly buildup, the, usually the revenue assumptions as inputs on one page. You have your cost assumptions possibly on another page. 
it rolls into monthly, quarterly, annual. So you can have an annual summary that you can then drop into the pitch deck, right? And then I would also add the tab for the unit economics, right? And this is the tab that's really showing whatever your unit economics are, whether it's, you know, cost of acquisition, uh, lifetime value, churn rates, things like that, right? Where because that's that's the other thing. I yeah. like to put in the actual deck, and and I'd love to hear what you think. I like to put the annual uh, annual forecast, and then the unit economics table, and that's my financial slide in the deck typically. I like that too, and I like on when you're looking at CAC LTV unit economics. I also like to see payback period. So mm. if if you're spending if you're spending a thousand dollars to acquire the customer, how many you know, weeks or months does it take before you get your thousand dollars paid back? Sure. Um, so uh, it's not just that, like I spend a thousand dollars and I make 18,000 as the LTV. How quickly are you getting the thousand dollars actually wired back to you from that? A really customer? good payback period. I, it's funny. I don't, I'm thinking of our own metrics now and I haven't really calculated that, but I can do the quick math on that. Um, I don't know. Do you have targets for like SaaS businesses you're looking at? I mean, you know, I'm more open-minded of, you know, what are we dealing with? Um, yeah. If, if uh, you know, we invested in, um, in, in, in Radius where they, they've digitized everything for a, a real estate agent. So if you work for Century 21 and you were getting 30% of the value of every house you sell of the fee, and then someone else offers to give you 50% of the value, you're going to eventually quit your job at Century 21 and move over to Christie's and Sotheby's. who are giving you 50% because you're the best real estate agent in East Hampton, New York. And then someone else offers you 70%. You're like, all right, to hell with Christie's and Sotheby's. I'm moving there. So it's kind of a race to zero. These guys are like digitizing everything mm. so that they can basically give everything to the real estate agent and just charge a fee. With them, if somebody sells like, two houses in the first month, then they get their payback right away. If it's a really bad real estate agent that's not closing a lot of deals, they get it back within like six months. I, you know, and I kind of think of it as a relatively rapid payback um, that we can really scale revenue quickly on and yep. gets me excited. Um, you know, if somebody else has got something that's a true marriage with venture capital that they have an 18x CAC to LTV, but it takes a full 18 months to get there. You know, I think there's a lot of companies in Silicon Valley that are in the business of selling a dollar for 50 cents. Sure, 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 you know what sure, I mean? Right. So it's like, you see the company is like, you know, 2 billion in revenue. But we'll make it up in volume, spent, right? That's, that's spent, the answer. <laughs> like it's been 4 billion to make the 2 billion. It's like, you know, it's scary if, if if they were if they had if they spent 200k to make 100k th that that doesn't scare me as much as that they're actually spent 2 billion to make 1 billion you know that sure, gets sure, even yeah. scarier i think that was i remember during the first dot com bubble some of the the stock analysts i was doing some stock research at the time and that was always the thing it's like okay they're spending a billion to make 500 500 million but you know, they'll make it up on a volume eventually kind of the thing or, or or the the argument was that if they keep spending at these levels it will drive out their competitors and then they'll be able to actually charge a a, a profitable fee or whatever you know there's all kinds of arguments startups yeah, i like to <laughs> delusional when you're really when you really get into a good financial model you're getting deep into when will this company tip into profitability like what does it take sure. to tip this company into profitability like, you know, and exactly where does that happen in the financial model? And, you know, if the investor is not engaging at that level and if the CEO doesn't know it, like if the CEO says, oh, I'm really just the salesperson here. I don't even know my own business. You know, you probably not get invest in that company. Um, yeah. So, so financial model, we kind of covered that. What other, what other docs? I mean, what, what's your advice on decks on the pitch? Deck? Yeah. I want to add one extra little thing that just came to me on models and then let's move to decks. But the, the one tricky thing I think that can trip up founders, especially maybe non-financial founders sometimes is I think 
there's this expectation investors need to see whatever it is, 100 million in five years or some you know huge growth rate. And so you're building your model to, to, to match this like expect, expectations of investors. And then, you know, in reality, everything takes twice as long, costs twice as much to get there. And so your actual results aren't going to track that. So how do you manage that with your investors, knowing that in reality, you're not going to hit that 100 million in, in three years or five years, or whatever. So um, anyway, just, just be cognizant of that, that you have to sort of manage that delicate tightrope of showing a sexy model, but knowing reality is going to be <laughs> different. Yeah, than I mean, model. so this is, this is the hockey stick you know, pro forma that revenues are just going to, our revenues yeah. are going to be bigger than Groupon and Cisco, which yeah. set world records of how fast their revenues grow. Why should I believe your revenues are going to, you know, not be normal, but be better than the biggest ever. And that, that can be a turnoff. So how do you think about, um, you know, if revenues are zero now, what do you think is a realistic, uh, you know, three, five year top line revenue that's that that's uh, conservative enough to look realistic, but ambitious enough to make a venture return for an investor? It's yeah, that's hard. I mean, it used to be the the standard was 100 million in five years. That was sort of like what we made, made sure all models hit, because if you're forecasting 20 million in five years, you're not going to get investors excited. If you're forecasting a billion dollars in five years, that's probably not unrealistic or that's probably unrealistic. And so we were always doing hundred million in five years. I don't know if that's changed. I mean, I think that I would put that question back to you. It's like, you know, things are, are faster now. You do see companies hitting that hockey stick growth rate at a faster pace than I think they used to. So I don't know if that expectation has changed, but I think somewhere that there still might be a, a North star to aim for, because again, smaller than that, people aren't going to get excited way larger than that they're going to think you're you're totally off your meds <laughs> yeah i think so there's two things one is what what is changing and then the other one is uh what can the company be sold for and what is the valuation now and what kind of mm -hmm. return are, are you offering investors if you believe if and you believe the numbers so uh what's changed is that um since covid the uh, time delay between closing a financing round and the next financing round is shortening. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you had kind of 18 to 24 month runways is the cash runway a company should be raising for, in my opinion, that if you raise for under 18 months, then you're not going to be able to focus on your business. You're going to be back out dealing with all of your lifelong investor target list and researching and all that, as opposed to just building things and talking to customers, right? So um, now, so what that meant is that if you have an 18-month runway, if you have more than a 24-month runway, you may have sold too much of your stock at today's cheap price. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And you yep. should probably only have the 24-month runway so that um, you make progress in these coming months to the point that you can raise money at a higher valuation because of the yep. growing revenue, if nothing else. Um, so that's kind of like why you wouldn't typically have more than a 24 month runway. Um, it happens to companies that they didn't necessarily need to raise money and investors were finding them. And so they, they find themselves with more than an 18 you know, month runway, which does happen. And they just agreed to sell the stock at today's cheap price, you know, yep. but if you have an 18 month runway and you don't want to close funding with two weeks cash for payroll, Right. So that means that you probably want to close your funding round when you still have a comfortable bank balance that would carry you another six months. So what that really means is that if you raise money on, you know, March 1st, you you probably want to raise money on March 1st of next year with six months cash in the bank if you were on an 18 month runway. Sure. You know? yep. Now, some mm -hmm. of that hockey stick stuff might be happening and your runways extended. But we plan on flat, you know, which is maybe irrational, but we do. Um, we, we plan on flat. And what tends to happen is that the founder starts spending more now that they have more revenue coming in. So the burn rate remains constant. So if you had, if you were burning a million a month and then more revenue comes in, then you're spending more, but you're still burning a million yep. to, to have that timeline. So it meant that in the old world, you would raise every 12 months. 
in the new world, we're seeing uh, a company raise capital. We announce it and immediately VCs contact me asking to be introduced to the company. And I go along and I make those introductions and the company is raising money almost immediately. Like we invested in Quant AI and then JCal came in with Launch Fund and invested like two weeks later. And uh, it and because the share price is now much higher, that my fund is up almost immediately on that investment, which is not the way the world kind of used to work. So we're seeing sure. companies <laughs> raise a bit faster as a difference. But the other thing is, uh, if a founder like a mistake would be a founder makes a financial forecast that is so conservative that they're only making like ten million of revenue in three or five years and yet their valuation today is hot and spicy meaning it's yeah. high and if those projections were accurate and we say we could maybe sell the company for 12x revenue at best but potentially 8x revenue you're saying i could sell the company for 80 million dollars and you've got a pre-money valuation of 60 million today how is that going to put my fund to do as well as my last fund, which was 15X? Sure. You're going to be dragging my fund down with that investment. So I think founders should try to backdoor their way into today's valuation with tomorrow's ultimate investment. And maybe the VC should be prepared for 50% dilution. So when you see these 100 million pre, mm-hmm. pre-money valuation and a $1 billion exit, that sounds like a 10x return, but it's not. It's like a 5x return if they raise a lot of money between now and that exit. And a 5x return would be dragging down my fund. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's just something to think about. Absolutely. There's a lot to this and I I won't make this a sales plug, but we do have in our docs collection, a a dilution scenario analyzer. That's kind of fun because you can go in and plug in different, funding amounts and timing and, and you can see what everyone's ownership percentages do and they're then you know assuming a certain exit what that means right it's just a good exercise because this stuff is complicated this stuff is not you know totally intuitive for for founders all the time how how the economics work for themselves and and ventures um i'm really curious to see that because i've got my own sheet that i've made uh for my own portfolio companies i use it with my students i call it the the journey of the entrepreneur, the mm-hmm. journey of the founder. And it starts with two people, 50-50. Yeah. With that sheet, actually, the wisdom that I've seen from the this Excel spreadsheet that I've made is don't worry so much about dilution. Founders are yeah. just obsessed with dilution. And in the end you know, of my entrepreneur journey, I'm like, so now let's look at the exit scenarios of what it sells for. And it sums up every funding round that you've raised in this theoretical thing. So it shows the liquidation stack. And if you take a 1x liquidation stack out of it and your ownership is this and your exit was either A, B, C, or D, this is how much you made. And you can kind of think of that as divided by X number of years. Am I doing better than when I was doing private placements at JP Morgan? Maybe not. Sure, right, I know. know, If it was 10 years, that's an exercise you don't want to do because I've actually gone and followed some of the people I used to work with and who are now, you know, uh managing partners and 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 uh made partner at goldman i'm like oh my god you know even if foundry does really well those guys like the the path that they went on um and then sadly there's age you know we're not vampires i wish we were but you know know, some of those guys are retiring you know oh yeah absolutely so so that's another thing some of these guys are retiring and like and like we're somehow in this endless treadmill so but I, but I promise to you that that you and I and the founders listening or or you're working with are having more fun than the investment bankers. I just I promise you that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I mean, sometimes I say stop and smell the flowers uh, when you're doing this strategy meeting because, like, you know, this is it. Like the journey is the destination. Like like yeah. you're you should be enjoying your whiteboarding strategy of you know who to bring in. So. How about some other advice on early? Like, like, what do you, do you have a policy on um, advisory shares? Like if, if a company wants to build a board of advisors where they're basically prepared to gift some equity and give some warrants away uh, for somebody to bring some serious names into a business, do you, have you kind of canonized your thinking around that? Yeah, yes. And 
we have a template for that. It's an advisory board agreement with some like tables of different ownership amounts. And actually, I can't even take credit for it. Credit for it. I believe it was developed originally by Founder Institute, Adeo Resi, and those guys. Um, but it's a really good document. And you know, basically, I the way I think about it is, you know, anywhere from a, a, a ten basis points up to one uh, percent is typically what you might be giving away to advisors, depending on their level of involvement, you know, are they going to be just on call for occasional strategy calls? Or are they going to be like helping you recruit, you know, senior talent or something, right? Kind of what are they going to be doing? How actively are they going to be? How, how big are they, right? I mean, if these are name brand, um, really credible people that are going to increase your valuation, because you brought them on board, then maybe they're worth, you know, half a percent, instead of, quarter of a, uh, a percent or something like that. Um, and and I think, you know, if you're giving away like 1% to an advisor, they really better be name brand and involved, right? So you kind of think of the matrix of how much value can they provide and how active are they going to be involved? And then, you know, kind of structure it like that. Um, I mean, I've seen everywhere from 1% to 5% of the company carved off for advisors. Some industries need a lot more advisors than others and depending on your expertise if you're you know just one scenario you're fresh out of college but you're doing some life science type of startup you might need a really robust medical advisory scientific advisory board and you should be willing to carve off more equity for that just like you carve off equity for your employee option pool i think it's you know worthwhile to think about it as currency for advisors so and do you have a yeah. thoughts on vesting schedules with time or milestone based with advisors? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Cause sometimes advisors become duds, right? They're, <laughs> they've got a great brand name, but they really aren't very available to help. Um, you know, the more you can make it milestone based, but then, then a lot of advisors don't want to have specific deliverables around that. So I do think a, a time, at least a vesting schedule helps because if they're really a dud and not doing anything, you can, you know, cut them off and say, recoup some of that, that equity. Um, I mean, I've seen everything from two to two to four years. I think it, I've seen everything from one to four years, nothing really longer than that. Um because a lot of that advisory help is probably going to be in the first year or two anyway. That's, that's the thing. Like, um, I think that um, a founder, if you put founders on a vesting schedule, which I'm in favor of to protect the company from somebody leaving and yeah. um, and not doing, not, not working as hard as the other founder, um, that's, that's more like four years. Uh, a vesting schedule is pretty normal. Whereas with these advisors, it's like, hey, man, I don't need you in four years from now. Yeah. I need you to, I need you to take me from nobody to knowing everybody today. Like yeah, I want you to right. open the doors right now. And, and then, and then you can go just, you can go to Hawaii like in two years from now, but yeah. I need you right now or else I wouldn't yeah. be talking to you. So, you know, you got to deliver for us within 24 months. So I think that the advisor vesting schedule, you know, shouldn't be more than three years max. Sure. And, and, and it's potentially even two years. You, you might as well put it as three, but um, yeah, that's kind of my thinking around that. And, and how about, how about um, so people can just get their credit card out and get some exciting angels and early stage investors through Founder Suite. What's your policy around getting introduced? Yeah, I mean, this is a, still a difficult part of the fundraising. I think one of the one of the areas that's still messy and hard to do is the introduction side of things. Um, we don't make the introductions. We're not in the broker business. We're not a, a registered broker dealer. So we're not doing that. Um, you know, in general, my, my thoughts on that are founders should step one, go to their LinkedIn, plug every single investor into LinkedIn, see if they have any mutual connections that they might be able to ask for the introduction. If they don't, you know, my, my, my hack that I tell founders a lot is study up that investor, study Andrew's portfolio, what he's invested in over the last six, 12 months and cold, cold email, a couple of the founders that he's put money into and just, you know, keep it real casual. Like, Hey, I see, I've been following Andrew on social media for a while. I, I know he invests in XYZ space. 
Um, I see he invested in you. I'd love to just hop on a quick Zoom, chat about what it's like working with him, et cetera. And then if you build a little rapport with that founder, you know, it's okay to ask for that intro to, to Andrew, right? Um, also just doing kind of tactical things like we've talked about this a little bit, but if you've built a pipeline of investors in Founder Suite or Excel, asking your advisors that you just gave some equity to, to come in and scan that list and anyone they know, you know, open up, mark themselves as the, the connector to that. Like we, we talked about, yeah, right? that, That's my spreadsheet where I'm like, I yeah. put myself down here. Like I can introduce somebody to John Frankel and John and I go way back at FF, but um, maybe there's someone who's closer to John than me. Um, yep. and, and so, so you should kind of, co you know, coordinate that absolutely as much as possible. And even if you've done all those three things, LinkedIn, ask your advisors and investors to scan your list and kind of hustled through portfolio company founders, you're still probably going to have, you know, whatever, 25% of people you have no connection path to. Um, that's where I like this little tactic of reaching out to those folks, not pitching your deal right away, but really pitching like, Hey, um, Hey, Andrew, I see, you know, you're investing in this space. I'm building a startup in this space. Um, I'm not raising money right now, but can I have your permission? And I'd love to your feedback on this. I'd can I have your permission to add you to our company update list? We sent out a super short one page company update talking about what we're doing. It'll give you a little sneak peek about what I'm building here. You know, can I have your permission? So, so for the cold email, I like to do the permission email approach instead of like going for the pitch. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. I mean, I, I email is a problem for me when Roel came into my office in San Francisco and pitched me his vision for superhuman before he had founded the company or recruited the first employee. I was like, I'm in, if you uh -huh. can help me with my email and doing those things you're talking about, that yeah. is an enormous benefit to my life. You know, it turns out to be one of the greatest investments we've ever made. But um, I was ready to fund it just because I needed it so badly. Yeah. And yeah, so when yeah. people ask me, hey, can I just put you on my monthly update list? I tend to be like, you know what? I'd rather not. Um, I'd rather hear when you're getting close to 100K MRR and that's within our first entry point sweet spot, you know? Yep. You know, like. So you'd rather we, be we do, pitched, we do, basically. We do I mean, you'd rather get the, the pitch direct rather than. Yeah, you know, you know but, but one one thing I think can be very effective for a founder is to say, hey, I want to spend the next two months just pitching founders. I want um, so so they actually reach out to other founders. And this is where it's great if you went to Y Combinator or Alchemist and you have an immediate set of yeah. you know, brothers and sisters in your cohort or previous cohorts to, to alumni to go to. But if you can say, I want to pitch, you know, literally 100 yc graduates in the next two months and i just want feedback so say can i pitch you um as a, like an informational interview practice mock-up exercise vc pitch so you pretend to be a venture capitalist or an angel and i will not be pretending to be me i'll do i'll be me and so you you say and i swear to god we'll do it in 30 minutes so let's get on zoom has made it easy just get on zoom let me pitch you, you give me feedback. And what may happen is that somebody in there has some money, might even say, you know what? I really like what you're doing and I can help you. So let me put mm -hmm. in 25 grand. And so like that, you know, you have 25 grand comes in on a convertible note. Now you've got like, you know, you know, you know, Vivek, you know, founding CTO of Superhuman is now one of your angels and he's in your deck. And I and, and if Vivek tells me this is a good deal, I'm like, damn, Vivek. When did you invest in that company? It's like last week, you should meet them, but they're not going to pitch anybody for another two months. We're only pitching founders right now to get our act together. And then these should all be founders that you know probably have raised capital themselves so that their opinions yep. are interesting. And you may have gone and raised some money when you promised you weren't asking them for any money. You were just trying to do the pitch. And then of those hundred people, your spreadsheet should be filling in of like, who's going to introduce you. Now, Vivek will yep. introduce you to Josh Koppelman at First Round Capital and introduce you to, you know, whoever they were dealing with at IVP down the line or Andreessen Horowitz, and they've raised money yeah. from all those people. So you can get a lot of warm intros by doing that. And just like, you know, Love you it. might, 
you thought like, oh, I knew everything about this, but with all these people on how I raised it, your podcast, you've learned a lot. You learned a lot. You know, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot yourself in talking to these hundred founders, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the nice things of living in San Francisco is that, you know, that's the reason you don't live there for the, for the wonderful taxes, but you know, that, that you can maybe meet a lot of people that, you know, you could try that with. So what do you I love think that? About- I love that. That's a great, great hack, so to speak. Yeah, I love it. So t- talk, let's talk about cold emails. I mean, we do invest in lots of companies that listen to a podcast and email us, but mm-hmm. I like a good, I like a good email, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like there's some pretty bad, horrible emails, like especially the crypto guys. It's, it's just horrific. Oh, really? Are they but the- like, you know, even subject and what do you, what do you advise putting into a cold email? I like to keep it really, really short. Here's my sort of format for this. Um, You know, subject line, something like, I'll use my own, right? Intro to Founder Suite, dash software for raising capital, dash or hash, uh, you know, um, 3,000 monthly active customers or... um, FFVC leading the round, whatever, something intriguing and, and like exciting that might hopefully tease you into opening up the rest of the email, right? So something kind of who we are, what we're doing, and then some teaser, a metric, a growth metric, an investor, you know, if, if uh, one of those angel, one of those uh, fellow founders actually did commit to putting in the mound, you know, Rahul of superhuman leading the round, whatever it may be, or maybe you have a portion of the round committed. I see this with a lot of the angel list deals. They're all oversubscribed, right? That's always in the email. It's like 2X oversubscribed. Anyway, and that's, I think, getting a little tiring. But anyway, then the rest of the email is simply, uh, hey, Andrew, this is Nathan. I'm building this SaaS platform for managing investor relations and, and fundraising. Um, we've got 3,000 startups a month using this, plus a lot of investors and investment bankers. Um, I'm raising a seed round um, to, you know, expand, to do X, Y, Z, whatever that may be, to expand into venture world and take on maybe a competitor or, you know, something that you're, you're already using, familiar with. And um, I'm raising a million dollars. I kind of talking about what I'm raising. And then I usually include a link to the deck and the deck is hosted on Founder Suite, of course. And we kind of skipped over this, but the deck is very short. It's problem solution market traction team so it's a five slide deck it's a super short teaser deck right problem solution market traction team and then with a little call to action i'd love to get get some time in your calendar let me know when you're available if this is of interest or here's my calendly if you want to pick your own and then that's it basically so it's what we're doing what we're raising this is this is like a technical email get you know getting through spam filters do you think it's a mistake to attach a deck yeah, this is a great question because I know investors hate going because they know I'm tracking you. When you go to my deck on Thunder Street, if I've turned on the view tracking, it's going to prompt you to answer yeah, your email. Yeah, I mean, DocSend, DocSend is, you know, you can, who's looking at my deck? Yeah. And I know investors hate that. I think it's, I think it, well, and I don't hate it. Me if, I don't care. So I have nothing yeah, to hide. I think investors have, have been trained by DocSend to accept this, that it's kind of the way it is. But um, I don't like attaching a deck just because I just sent you this deck. And I've meanwhile, I've pitched 20 other founders who give me great feedback. So I've updated my deck a lot and it's a lot That's better right. now. Yeah. yeah. So the online version, I can update constantly. So it's always the latest and greatest. The attachment is outdated pretty quickly. So, but I know some investors don't like to get, they want to see a PDF, right? Um, so... I like to do the, okay. the, the and, link. And by the way, I've got I've got two people in my waiting room for my next Zoom, so we're going to have okay. to unfortunately wrap up. We, it was great catching up before I started recording with you, Nathan. But um, uh, uh, closing thoughts. Um, I, I personally think on the email, I like to see in the text of the email how suitable is this for what we do. Like yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, I want to yeah. know, like, quick, if this is like healthcare life science, we don't do that. I'd like to see that right up front. It, I don't like to see they only mention revenue 
on some hard to see slide on, on slide number 47. Like I had to work that hard to find out if this is pre-revenue or if it's too late for us. Like we don't invest in companies with a hundred million revenue unless there are, they are our existing portfolio company. You know, so it's like, is this in my yeah. wheelhouse or not? So I like to see like geography, you know, what they do, what stage you're at. Like, are you in revenue or not? Don't make me work for that. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I don't even attach, I don't even open the attachment because I'm like, this email offends me. Like, <laughs> like, like they're not, they're not sure. respecting my time at all. Yeah. And, and they think I'm going to dig into slide 47 to figure out if it's pre-revenue or this is pure vision, they haven't quit their day jobs. So I kind of like to know kind of like stage sector geography. And in, like you said, if they, if they already have a, a term sheet from John Frankel at FF, you know, put that right up top, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of yeah. get, you know, use your 10 seconds to buy another 30 seconds to buy another two minutes. Love it. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, you know, kind of answered. Yep. And, and, and uh, with founder suite and all of your mastery from like when we met 15 years ago, the first time as being Mr. Fundraising guy, have you guys raised money? I mean, you're competing with Dogsend. We did. It's funny. We, we did raise capital. We raised about a million, million bucks. And then we haven't had to go back to the well uh, since then. So we're actually a lightly funded startup that sells software for raising capital. Kind of ironic in some ways, but well, yeah. That's awesome. I, I love a company where the liquidation stack is low. So if you sell your company for 50 million, um, you pay back 1 million, which is nothing. And you have a huge ownership percentage of the, the 49 as opposed to 18 years go away. I have an LP who invested in my fund who uh, raised 130 million of funding, just like every VC you've ever heard of. And his ownership fell below 4%, went to zero. And he's like, we'll never sell the company for more than that. They're not giving him a carve out. And he left. It was like 18 years, 18 years of his life. That's like, you should never quit your job at JP Morgan if that's what what you got into. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) I'm going to sign up. I'm going to start paying for Founder Suite myself. So tell us the URL of where to go so everyone can immediately start paying for this. Yes. Well, thank you, sir. Um, It's foundersuite.com, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S-U-I-T-E, foundersuite.com. And um, yeah, let me, uh, if you, let me come up with a promo code. If you use code Roman, uh, we'll, we'll do a 30% okay. discount. How about that? Let me oh, make sure. nice. Romans with an S. So, yeah, Romans make, with make an S. S. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Okay. Roman. Email that to me and I'll put it in show notes when we publish, publish it. That is totally dope. I will I'll use my own name to get my own discount and I'll start paying for it myself. All right, Nathan, great to see you. Look forward to seeing you in the real world. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now.